Um, well, I read a magazine called Wired Magazine. It's my attempt to sort of stay trendy and with it and I'm um, up to date with the latest sort of technology and so on. And um, this year, it's the 10th anniversary of the magazine in this country. And I found a quote. They interviewed lots of 10-year-olds to look at their views on various aspects of the future coming up. Uh, one 10-year-old was asked this, what do you worry about for the future? Um, this guy was called Vincent, and he said this in response, that people will stop playing Fortnite. Now, if you don't know what Fortnite is, Fortnite is a game um, you can play on um, a computer console. It's basically a sort of, um, you'll have lots of people playing for, connected by the internet, and you're in this big stadium, and you basically got to shoot each other, and the last one standing wins. That simple, okay? Um, that's Fortnite. If, you, if you're aware of 10-year-olds and upwards, um, it's very popular, or it was a while ago. Um, anyway, so he's worried that people will stop playing Fortnite, so I'll be just, that, just be that one guy who plays on his own. I'm scared there'll be a new game my parents won't let me get. And everyone's playing it, and I'm just that one person who, where everyone's asking me, do you play that new game? And I'm like, no. Do you feel his pain? <laughs> I wonder what your response is to that. Um, you might think of why, why these boys are so fanatical about playing these computer games where it's all about shooting people and so on. Uh, and I was reflecting on that and thinking back to when I was a 10-year-old. Um, and actually, I spent a lot of time running around in playgrounds and um, pretending to shoot other boys. <laughs> um, and usually arguing about whether someone was dead or not. The advantage of Fortnite is you don't have the arguments about whether you've actually shot them or not. So... <laughs> Um, that's there. So it's not that dissimilar in a way to what I was doing when I was a 10-year-old, except, of course, it's much more technological and graphic and so on. But I guess you may feel as well, well, isn't this 10-year-old boy rather naive? Does, is it, he doesn't really understand um, what's really important in life, what's really important in the future. Um, and, of course, you'd be right. And probably when you think back to when you were a 10-year-old and what you felt and what you thought was important then, you'd probably realise that you were quite naive at the time. But actually... You might think, well, is he really going to be worried about whether he's playing Fortnite in six months' time, or a year's time, or five years' time, or ten years' time? And the answer is, of course not. It won't matter to him anymore. Other things will come. Other things will be important in life. But then think about what you're worried about losing now. If I were to ask you that question, what do you worry about for the future? How would you answer it? And then reflect... Will that still be the same thing you're worried about losing in six months' time? Or a year's time? Or five years' time? Or ten years' time? Or an eternity? You see, if we're honest with ourselves, we often worry about um, things that seem so important to us now, but actually in the future won't really matter. And sometimes it's good to have that perspective on life, isn't it? That perspective on where we are now. But when you read this again, there is something about what he says that is fundamental to what we fear about losing. Because what he's actually worried about is not so much not being able to play Fortnite, but not being able to engage with other people, with his friends. Or somehow, because he can't play the new game that comes out, being cut off from the community of lads that he likes being with, that like playing that game. And actually being cut off from a community, being cut off from a group of friends that we might like being with or from a family we're a part of, that is something, isn't it, that we should all rightly maybe be worried about and concerned about. 
And when we come to Romans and we look at what Paul's saying in this passage, actually what he's warning us about is think carefully about what you may be in danger of being cut off from. Look at verse um, 22. Verse 22. It's quoted on the front of your notice sheet. Consider therefore the kindness and sternness of God, sternness to those who fell, but kindness to you, provided that you continue in his kindness. Otherwise, you also will be cut off. For Paul, the big issue, um, like for this 10-year-old boy in a sense, is being cut off. But as Paul talks about it, it's being cut off from the olive tree. Now, of course, the olive tree here is um, a metaphor, it's a picture, um, and it's a picture of God's true people. Um, and what Paul is concerned about um, is about people being cut off from being part of God's true people, being part of the olive tree. Um, and the olive tree stands for God's true people. It stands for a sense of being part of God's people, being connected with God, being connected with the church. We need to think about it in detail. And so we're going to go through and think about four aspects of this tree, four different parts. And first, we're going to think about the roots. And this is the part that's probably least clear. Um, there's various discussions and commentators about this. Um, but I think the best way to think about the root of God's tree, of the olive tree, is as the heritage of God's people. You see, in this passage, um, Paul is talking about the Jewish people. He's talking about the Israelites. He's talking about those that were the chosen people of God, those that God had worked through, descended from Abraham, who had, God had helped to give them a promised land. He had made them into a great nation. Um, through them, God brought about his plans. They are God's people. And yet now Christ has come, things are changing. The definition of God's people is changing. And yet Paul is keen that we see that the heritage of God's people still remains. And actually what's upsetting people, what Paul is worried about in these passages, is to come to terms with the fact that so many of the Jewish people, so many of his fellow Israelites, are not accepting Jesus, God's Christ, God's Messiah for Israel. They're not believing in him. And that's the big worry of Paul in chapters 9 to 11 of Romans. And if you go back to chapter 9... Verses 3 to 5. I think this really is probably what Paul means by the roots. He's talking about the heritage of Israel, the heritage of God's Jewish people. He says, For I could wish I myself would. Um, sorry, verse 4. Go from verse 4 of chapter 9. The people of Israel, theirs is the adoption to sonship. There's the divine glory, the covenants, the receiving of the law, the temple worship and the promises. There's are the patriarchs and from them is traced the human history of the Messiah who is God over all forever praised. And Paul is saying that if you are part of God's people, whether you're Gentile now, non-Jew becoming part of God's people, whether you're Jew remaining part of God's people, these are the, this is your heritage. And this is a wonderful heritage, this is an amazing heritage that God's built up over the centuries. Um, it's a heritage of being adopted as God's children. You get to be part of the family of God. You get to be part of the most amazing community that you could ever imagine, where God, the creator of the universe, the one who loves you beyond your imagination and comprehension, the one who is all-powerful, you're part of his family. You can speak to him as father. That's sort of a wonderful heritage to have. That's a wonderful thing to be a part of. And if you're, in, if you're part of the olive tree, if you're part of the people of God, this is what you have. And as such, you're connected to God's glory. 
Um, in the Bible, glory it sort of comes from a sense of, of weightiness, heaviness, things that will not be moved, things that will not be shifted. God is glorious. God is eternal. God will always be there. And if you're connected to him, you will always be there. And increasingly, you'll live up to that original creation plan to be made in the image of God, to reflect his glory. And one day we will all be brought to true glory with him in heaven. That's part of what being part of God's people is about. And, and God's people um, began when God called Abraham and made some promises to him. They entered into a special relationship with him, a covenant with him. And it was a promise to bless Abraham, to bless his family, to bless his people, and through him to bless all nations. And when we become part of God's people, we, we gain also part of that heritage. We too get to be blessed as part of God's covenants and his promises. We get that secure relationship with him. And we get access to God's law, to God's words. Um, we have the Bible to guide us and teach us and show us how, how God wants us to live through life. It can give us wisdom for making wise and great decisions and choices in life. We have the privilege of knowing God's law and having it explained to us and taught to us. But most of all, we get connected to God's Messiah, God's Christ. The one he's chosen, his son, who came to die for us on the cross and rise again from the dead to break through death and give us life. The one who loves us beyond our comprehension, who became human that we could become, in a sense, children of God, divine as well. Jesus is what we have when we are connected to God. Do you see how amazing it is, is to be part of the olive tree? When, when Paul talks in chapter 11 about um, being connected to the root and, and, and knowing the sap coming up and being part of the sap and receiving the sap that will enable us and give us life, this is what we have as the heritage of God's people. This is something we want to be a part of and we should really desire to be a part of. And so there's two things here we want to say. Firstly, that... This is an incredible privilege to be part of this olive tree, to be part of this community, to be part of this people. It matters that we belong to this. It matters now that we belong to this. It will still matter in six months' time that we belong to this. It will still matter in a year's time that we belong to this olive tree. It will still matter in five years' time and ten years' time. And actually, it will still matter in eternity. More than anything else we have now, more than our health, more than our jobs, more than our family, more than our um, careers, more than um, our savings, more than our homes, more than anything else we have now, this is what will really matter in eternity, to be a part of this community. What a privilege. But secondly, we do need to see that, in a sense, this is a, a Jewish heritage as well. Paul is speaking here in a way to the, the non-Jews in Rome that he's writing to, and he's trying to encourage them not to look down on the Jews. And so he's helping them to see that what they have in Christ is actually, in a sense, Jewish. This is the true Israel. It's not that God cut down the old Israel and replanted a new tree. It's that the old tree is still there. The Old Testament still matters. Abraham still matters. Um, David still matters. All that we have through that still matters. But you as a Gentile through Christ are now being 
joined in with that. You are now being grafted in, as he puts it. So that's the root. Let's look at a bit more detail. There's three other things to look at. First of all, is the, and they're all to do with branches. And the first thing is the remaining branches. So the branches that are always there and still remain there. And this goes back to chapter 11, verse 1. Um, Paul's there asking, saying, has God rejected his people? Look, so many Jews have turned against Christ. So many Jews have failed to accept Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior. Um, is that because God is rejecting Israel altogether? Is God going back on his promises to Abraham? To his family? And Paul says, by no means, of course not. God cannot go back on his promises. God is a God who is faithful. God is a God who is true. He'll never give up on his promises. And actually, although many Israelites have rejected Jesus, a good number have accepted him, have believed in him, have trusted in him. Paul says, look, I am an Israelite, a descendant of Abraham from the tribe of Benjamin. I'm truly Jewish, and yet I believe. And you think about the 12 apostles, Peter, James, John, and so on. They were all Jewish, they believed. Most of the New Testament was written by Jews, apart from Luke and Acts, which was written by Luke, who was a Gentile. There are people who are believing Jews, people who have come to faith and trust in Jesus Christ. God's promises haven't failed. God's people haven't disappeared. Um, God's promise to keep the Jewish people as the chosen people remains in those who believe in Jesus Christ. And even today, throughout the world, Jews are becoming Christians and turning to Christ. God's people remain in that sense. So the remaining branches are the believing Jews, and that gives us courage and confidence that God's promises never fail, that God's promises remain. But secondly, and sadly, they're the broken off branches. And this is where Paul is talking about the unbelieving Jews, those who have not accepted Jesus Christ. Those who Paul has said, have, who have decided that actually the only way to God is to follow the law, to try and make themselves good enough by sticking to what the law says, to try and build up their own salvation rather than accepting God's gift of salvation in Jesus Christ. These are the ones that God, Paul describes as being broken off the olive tree, that have lost their place as part of God's true Israel. They, of course, wouldn't see it like that. They would see Paul and others as being going away from the true Israel. But if Jesus is truly God's son, and they've rejected him, then they've rejected God's. And so, in a sense, they've been broken off from the olive tree. And going back to the beginning of chapter 9 again, this is Paul's big issue. This is not just a technical, intellectual exercise Paul is going through. This is something he feels passionately about. This is something he emotionally gets to him. So in chapter 9, verse 1, he says, I am speaking the truth in Christ. I am not lying. My conscience confirms it through the Holy Spirit. I have great sorrow and unceasing anguish in my heart. For I wish I myself were cursed and cut off from Christ for the sake of my people, those of my own race. When Paul looks at the broken branches, the branches that are broken off, when he looks at those Jews who have rejected Jesus Christ, God's Messiah, he is full of sadness and anguish. His heart bleeds 
Now, I guess the there may be one or two people that have got Jewish heritage here, but most of us haven't. And we may think, well, what's this got to do with us today? But partly, we should be concerned that Jewish people today come to know Christ. There's a sense in which you could look at this in a different way as well. And actually, we may know people that have grown up with a Christian heritage. Maybe family members, maybe friends, that seem to be part of God's people that knew, heard the Bible stories, that heard about Jesus, and knew the Old Testament and the stories and so on. And yet, at some point, they turned away. They've rejected Jesus. They rejected that heritage. And it may be that you look at that and you feel incredibly sad. There's a sense of anguish, a sense of hurt, a sense of and pain, particularly if there are people that are close to you. I can think of um, friends who seem to be really enthusiastic Christians when I was a teenager, and yet now their faith is nowhere, and that's terrible. But Paul, when he looks at the Jews that have given up and haven't accepted Jesus, he asks that they've fallen away so as to fall beyond recovery, as we ask in verse 11. And his response is this, not at all. Not at all. There is still hope. Paul still believes that many of those that have fallen away could come back. In the last verses he says that um, if they're true olive tree branches, then how, much it, how easy it is for God to plant them back in and root them back into the, to the main olive tree. Of course, that doesn't actually quite work in terms of agriculture. But this is a picture, this is a metaphor. Paul can play around with it and... Um, God can do anything. But there is hope. And more than hope, Paul has got a plan. You see, Paul knows that his calling is to go not to the Jews, but to the Gentiles, to go to the non-Jews and tell them the good news of Jesus. And he's done, done that, and he's seen many non-Gentiles come to faith in Jesus and become Christians and become part of the olive tree, become part of the heritage of God's community and God's people, um, and find blessing and joy in that and people might look at Paul and say, well, you've given up on your Jewish fellow, fellows, your fellow countrymen. Paul says, no. Actually, my mission to the Gentiles, my mission to the non-Jews, is partly for the sake of the Jews. Because what I hope is that when the Jews who haven't believed in Jesus see many non-Jews believing in Jesus, when they see the blessings they have and the excitement they have and what they gain from being part of that, that they will become jealous. That they too will want to have what's the non-Jews of God's. That they too will be back in with God's people, back in as part of the olive tree. And that they'll believe in Christ and turn back to him. And you see, it may be that you have um, friends or family that you, you long would come back to Christ that have fallen away. And, and yes, you rightly pray for them and you maybe look for opportunities to speak to them about, about Christ. But actually, one way to deal with it is to work at helping others, maybe not part of your family, people different to you, helping them to come to faith. It's what we hope to do as, part of, as a church, isn't it? We, we want to draw people to know Christ, to come to love Christ. Um, we want to draw them back to Christ, whoever they are. And yet actually, when you see new people coming to Christ that maybe part, not be part of your family, when you see them being blessed by that and, and the joy they find in that and the blessing they find in that, then you can tell those friends or family members about it. 
in the hope that they might become jealous and begin to realize what they used to have and are now missing out on. Paul has a strategy for reaching the Jews, but it's through the Gentiles. And maybe for us, as we think about family members and friends that we long to come back to Christ, part of the strategy may be actually just to go and share the gospel with whoever and then share with those friends and families the joy of seeing new people come to faith in the hope they too might become jealous. So we looked at um, those branches that remain, the Jews that believe, the broken off branches, the unbelieving Jews. But of course, Paul is also talking about those, Jew, those branches that are grafted in. And this is talking about the Gentiles and non-Jews who have believed in Christ. And he calls them wild olive branches. Uh, and, and the commentators get quite upset about this because if you're actually looking at doing an olive tree, um, then you might take um, a cultivated olive branch and put it into a wild olive tree, so it gets all the sap from the wild olive tree, but you've got a branch that produces good fruits. They do that, but no one in their right mind would take a, a wild olive tree branch that produces rubbish fruit and put it into a good olive tree. It doesn't make sense. And the commentators all get worked up about this and they try and look for examples of people maybe doing this strange sort of thing. But, but probably the point that Paul is making here is that, that you Gentiles, you may think you're great, you may, you may think that you've come to faith and you may look down on those Jewish people that haven't believed in their own Messiah and think, oh, you're stupid, you're rubbish. We're so much better than you. And yet Paul is saying, you're a wild olive branch. There's a sense in which you don't really belong as part of the olive tree. You've got no right to be part of this tree. This is for the Jewish people. This, those, that's God's chosen people. Why do you think that you, a non-Jew, should be part of this wonderful privilege? Don't be arrogant about it. Realize that this is by God's grace. You don't deserve to be there, and yet God, out of his kindness, has taken you, rubbish as you are, and grafted you into this amazing olive tree. It's another way of saying look how gracious, how loving, how kind God is. But he's also trying to say to the, the, the non-Jews, and particularly in Rome, who may have been looking down on the Jewish Christians or even the Jews that have rejected God, he's saying, don't be arrogant. I mean, verse 20 says, granted, but... They were broken off because of unbelief and you stand by faith. Do not be arrogant. Do not be arrogant. See, God's grace should humble us. We're not saved. We don't have these privileges. We don't have this connection of God because we're great or we're special or we're clever. We're, we've seen something other people haven't seen. It's only because of God's grace. It's only because of God's calling. It's only because of God's blessing. And so we should be humble. When we look at those that haven't accepted God, we shouldn't think, well, how rubbish are they? We should think, there but by the grace of God go I. We should remember our wonderful privilege that comes through God's incredible kindness. But also, Paul says, as you look at those that have been cut off because of their unbelief, be afraid. Verse 20 says, do not be arrogant, but tremble. We need to be afraid, but also be assured. I'll come to that in a minute. 
Why should we be afraid? But it goes back to that question at the beginning. What should we be most afraid about for the future? If the greatest privilege we have is being part of God's community and part of God's family, if we have all those blessings of being part of that, including a connection with the glorious God, eternal life, forgiveness of sins, um, relationship with Christ, being part of God's amazing families, these wonderful privileges, these privileges that for now and for eternity, then surely the thing we should be most afraid of in life is being cut off from that. And those Jews that didn't believe in Christ, what happened to them? They were cut off. And Paul says, look, what you should be worried about is being cut off from the olive tree, being cut off from the community of God, being cut off from God's people. And if you stop believing in Christ, then you'll be cut off. And actually, Paul is saying, your arrogance may lead you to stop believing. If you start looking down on others and thinking you're great and you're special because of what you do, then what are you trusting in? Not God's grace, but your works. Like the Jews who think that they're saved by doing good and by following the law, you're beginning to slip into that attitude. And you may lose faith. And you may lose your place and be cut off. Paul says that we should live out of fear, not of anything being cut off from anything else, but being cut off from God's people. That should affect how we think. That should affect how we plan. That should affect our decisions in life. Is this something that's going to cut me off from God? Is this something that's going to cut me off from God's people? And yet at the same time, in a way this is a sort of hypothetical, made-up problem. Because if you truly believe, then you'll never be cut off. Because God holds on to you. God has a plan for you. And that plan will not be thwarted. Go back to Romans chapter 8, verse 30. Paul says there, Those he predestined, he also called. Those he called, he also justified. Those he justified, he also glorified. We are to be afraid. We are to want to hold on more than anything else to being part of God's community, to being connected with God, to being part of that olive tree. But we mustn't lose our assurance. If God has us, if we truly believe, God will never let us go. He will bring to completion what he has started within us. We will remain part of that olive tree, both now and in six months' time, and a year's time, and five years' time, and ten years' time, and for eternity. Let's pray.